Hello, my name is David Turner and this is the Lunar Poetry Podcast. And today I'm in Peckham in South East London with writer and performer Jemima Foxtrot. Hello, Hello Jemima, how are you doing? Not so bad, how are you? I'm oh, good, yeah. Good. It's um, a bit of irrelevant information for an audio podcast, but it's finally sunny outside. It's beautiful, yeah. So we're it's all, uh, Jemima and I are full of uh, spring <laughs> cheer. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really nice. I think, yeah, I'll start with the first question, why poetry? Why poetry? Um, I, uh, I delight in language, basically. I, I'm interested in what poetry has to do, especially in terms of um, sound. I like the sounds of words. I like assonance. I like rhymes and and I like what I like about poetry is how you have to condense all of this thought into a very short um, space of time I like how um, you know because of that every single word counts and I like that sort of process of um, honing something down shaving bits off it and making sure that um, you know, every, every every single thing you you say matters and adds to adds to your point. I think it's really I think it's really um, an amazing thing as well. What something I really enjoy is when people say to me, "Oh, that's so how I feel. You've so expressed so well how I feel." So I really like being able to articulate other people's feelings because. You know, as well as my own, because I think we all go around with so much stuff going on in our heads, and I find it really, really nice when I uh, hear a poem or read a poem, and I think, yes. It's uh, so you're attracted to the discipline yeah. of the form, yeah. Do you do you feel like you lack that? Because oh, I, I mean, I think most people would probably feel that, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. I think so, and I think. I mean, in some practical sense, and I think one of the reasons I got into it was because I find things like plot very, very difficult, and you obviously don't have to have much of a plot in a poem particularly. You know, I'd be interested in writing a novel maybe at some point, but the thing that puts me off is I don't know how to work out what happens or where to take the story. I, I, I like poems as these sort of little insights and snippets like little windows into something bigger mm. um tiny little moments i kind of like that idea yeah but if i talk to people that don't necessarily have an interest in poetry quite often it's the same with people that i talk about i often compare poetry to paintings in galleries and stuff people feel perhaps a little bit silly because they don't understand what it means but i yeah. always try to remind people that it doesn't have to mean anything there doesn't have to be a great truth lying behind it. it can just be these tiny moments can't it where you're yeah. um and i i agree i think it's really nice if you read a poem especially if you're reading in, out in public and someone comes up to you afterwards mm. and says oh that was exactly what i was thinking i just couldn't put it yeah into those words it's, yeah yeah exactly that always feel that feels like a nice thing to be able to do when i read a poem that i feel like that from you know that's when i really that's when i really feel passionate about poetry when I connect to a, to a particular piece. And I, and I think you're completely right. I think this idea, I quite like some 
quite abstract things or things that aren't you don't have to know exactly what's going on the whole time and I think poetry is quite magical in that way that you can read something and not really understand what's going on but still take so much joy in it or so much pleasure from it. it can still really affect you even if you don't know what the person is necessarily talking about yeah I, also another thing I, I think it's, people forget often that you wouldn't necessarily listen to a pop record and demand to understand like you can enjoy the sound of it you can enjoy the general mm. emotion without worrying too much because if you do analyze a lot of, <laughs> a lot of songs that don't make much sense but they yeah. don't need to, it's not the point is it is that what attracts you to playing around with the sound as well as when you're performing yeah i like um i like this idea of bringing in snippets of other people's songs um and one of the reasons i do that is um because of course every single person in the audience some people might recognize that song and have a particular emotional connection to it some people may have never heard it before and i like the idea of different people sort of experiencing you know, having different experiences because, of course, everybody does react to a poem completely differently. Um, and, sat, you know, I, I, I like some of my poems have quite, um, you know, in, intense patterns of sounds and internal rhymes and things like that. And I find um, a real joy in working with the meaning but then also the sounds. So I went to um, Stanza Poetry Festival recently and I heard quite a lot of poetry in other languages. I heard um, some poetry in Swedish and some poetry in German. Um, and it's actually really, really interesting listening to poetry in a language that you don't understand mm. because it's completely stripped of the meaning, but you can still actually find it really enjoyable. It's almost like listening to a piece of music. And it just ma that made me think quite a lot more about you know, the relationship between sound and meaning and how, you know, if you listen to poetry in another language that you don't understand, it can still be really amazing, even though you have no idea what it's no, about no, at absolutely. all. I, I was lucky enough to interview a poet called, uh, his name is Mosab Al-Namari, and when I, he's Syrian, but I interviewed him in Istanbul when I was over there. Okay, and cool. he read to me in Arabic, and it was just, I don't know, I understand anything, but it was one of the most powerful readings I've experienced, especially since it was, it was lucky enough. I'm very lucky in a way that doing these podcasts, I get a lot of people reading to me in private. Mm. And it's a, it's a, something that most people don't get to experience. And you know, I've sat down with 50 or 60 poets and they've all read me their work and it, I've just been on my own with them in the room. It's really nice. But I've been, I've, you know, I've heard people, people have read to me in German, in Turkish, in Arabic, in Swedish, and it, and you you don't lose as much as you might think from just not being able to like not being able to understand yeah. the the text, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. And I find that really interesting. I think that just sort of shows how sound is so important, basically, in poetry. So, as you mentioned, you introduce uh, snippets of songs from other people and I was just wondering I'm, I'm not sure I've this is not unusual for me either I'm not sure I've <laughs> completely thought this question through properly but um, it, is the singing an embellishment of the poetry or is the or are the words just a framework to hold the tune does that make sense yeah it does make sense and I think the answer to that really is it depends on the poem. I think actually, um, I started putting the songs in 
relatively sort of instinctually, I think, because I like singing and music means a lot to me and singing makes me happy. And some poems have come from hearing a song or being taught a new song or having a song in my head and building a poem around that and that song um, being the inspiration um, for that poem. Sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes um, I'm writing a poem and I, obviously we all have a huge store of songs, all the songs that we've heard and all the songs that we like and all the songs that we know in our head. And sometimes I write a poem and think that that song perfectly expresses what I'm trying to say in this poem. Um, so it sort of, it does vary which comes first and therefore I think the purpose, the purpose of them. Um, on a very practical level, I think when I first started doing it, I liked and I still like starting sets with singing because especially in long, like long poetry nights, it just gets everybody's attention, <laughs> you know, in a very practical way. It's quite good to get on stage and everyone's just listening to six poets reading poetry. And if you get on stage and start going, then everyone's like, fucking hell, all right. And that's, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons I started doing it. But as I continued, started writing more, I started realising that there are so many more interesting ways you can use it. Um, some of my poems still have sort of a bit of song at the beginning and a bit of song at the end and then the poem in the middle. But more and more I started putting different songs in, scattered throughout. Um, and they're really useful sometimes to sort of indicate turns and change the tone and just sort of break it up in a and sort of distort the line of the poem in kind of an interesting way. Um, and now I've started writing more of my own songs, basically, mm. um, to put in as well, because I enjoy doing that. Uh, yeah, because I, I, I cannot remember where I heard this conversation, whether I was having it in private or whether it was on another podcast, but talking about open mic nights and how exhausting it can be listening to poetry all night. And it doesn't mean that... I think it's quite natural that that level of concentration all night... Yeah. And I, the, the discussion sort of revolved around can you add interludes or breaks that aren't just let's yeah. go to the bar you know how can you just lighten the mood slightly um i think maybe a lot of open mic nights are re reluctant to get musicians because sometimes they get too warmly received <laughs> too yeah warmly received and it takes the attention away from the poetry maybe but i think it's an important thing to remember isn't it if you're reading mm. all night it's especially if you're claiming to be a performer um, I know not every, you know, definitely not all poets claim to be yeah. performers. They're just yeah. there to recite their work, and that's fine. That's but that's another debate for another time. But it it can be a very exhausting night. But it's a very valid conversation, I think. If you're, or if we're all going to try and attract more people mm. to poetry events, you have to remember that if your first poetry event is involved two two and a half hours of poetry. It's quite yeah. exhausting, you know? Yeah, it absolutely is. Even with break, you know, just... Because you have to listen. You have to listen and concentrate. And good poetry should um, basically send your brain off in loads of different directions. You know, someone should 
say a metaphor and a line that should get you, you know, really a lot of the time that'll get you thinking about something else for the next 20 seconds. And then one of the things I think makes good poetry as well is, or <laughs> makes those nights good is when you can, because I guarantee you that, well, almost guarantee you that not a single person in that audience is completely concentrating and completely gets every single word that is said in a two and a half hour poetry night. But you should be able to zone out and zone back in and still be able to latch back onto it. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think I'm I'm getting more and more interested in these people who are using other other forms like I. Still haven't seen the full show, but um, Maria Ferguson's done this show, Fat Girls Don't Dance, yeah. and I saw a half-hour scratch of it last year, and it's just so interesting to have dance and poetry, and that, you know, it works. If you do it well, it works, you know, and she does, it works. Um, but in terms, of, yeah, I mean, in terms of poetry nights, I don't really know what the answer is. No, no. <laughs> and it might be a bit distracting to talk about that today, but I just thought, since you mentioned it, I thought yeah. it, it does resonate with I think a lot of people people that run nights it resonates a lot with um, with the, the, the issue of trying to get people to come back to nights you know because people yeah. that are already invested in going to poetry events there are sort of, there are a captive audience already but if you're going to attract new because we am I going to talk about this yeah a little bit just yeah, very good just, <laughs> just maybe make a point I think it's very having run a night myself or co-run a night yeah with Lizzie it, it's it, there's no shortage of people coming to read but the night needs audience members as well and sometimes yeah. sometimes uh, and I've been guilty of it myself people that are, know they're going to read can be very nervous before they go on they don't make for very good audience members you yeah. need committed audience members and you need to look after them more I think yeah who are there to listen yeah. um, but maybe we'll get yeah. on to talk about audience members because we've got uh a solo project to talk about yeah. a bit later on. Um, my, I suppose what also what I'm wondering is how the musical side of your work translates to, to the page in printed work. Yeah, well, that is an interesting point. I um, have just finished last month putting together my first collection, which is very exciting. Um, and the song lyrics I have basically put in italics. Um, and I've put a little note at the beginning of the book saying all text in italics is sung and some of the songs are probably so blindingly obvious that you'd have to be living under a rock all your life not to hear of like I don't know I get too hungry for dinner at eight everyone's going to know what that is like and what that tune is like um, less so with lots of the other songs um, but of course I'm going to reference them all and give credit to all the original people. Um, so it's kind of interesting because if you know the song, I think when you read it you will sing it in your head. Mm. Um, if you don't know the song, um, for instance if it's one of my songs and you've never heard me perform that poem, you won't know the tune. Um, if it's one of my songs, you kind of... Am I swear? You're kind of fucked. Um, <laughs> Because you're not going to, you know, unless you see me do it, you're not going to know how it goes. But I find that quite interesting. Like, maybe people can just make up their own tune. Maybe they maybe they won't bother. Maybe they'll just read it. But if they're reading it out and 
you know, if they don't know the song that's by someone else, they can Google the song and listen to it on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. If they don't know the song and it's my song, I find that quite interesting because I think, I don't, I don't know, maybe maybe you'll just make it up. Maybe if, if you're reading it in your head, you probably just will say the words to yourself, you know, in that way that you do when you read in your head. Um, but I think the it was something I was quite resistant to originally because I'd say at least I'd say like 60% of my work has singing in of my poems have singing in um, and originally I was like that's just not going to translate to pages it's not going to work um, but I've sort of come round to the idea and I have also used the book as an opportunity to write a few more sort of page-focused poems. Maybe a little um, YouTube video of you doing the song. Mm. The singing parts and chapters could work and it could be like an interactive, people will get a chance to get an idea of a tune and can either read the poem alongside with the singing. Yeah, I had actually thought of something like that. Something like like that would be really of... nice because it, I think while, it, while it's interesting and it's and it's also, what I, I really like the fact that it's just put in italics because it, it allows for the reader to be intelligent enough to interpret what you know we don't need to put everything on the plate for yeah. people that are reading you know that's not necessary um i think for your work it does need to be made clear that certain sections are sung because that's a major part of the work yeah but maybe as just a little aside it might be fun for there to be an access point for people obviously the famous mm. like you're saying the well-known songs by other people uh people can research that and find it themselves but for your own work maybe it might be nice um but at this point maybe actually we should put, say first of all that the book will be out in the summer through burning high books yes and it will be called it's called all damn day yeah so the the release date at the moment isn't finalized but if you will give uh blog details at the end for jemima and burning high books and obviously there's our there's my twitter account silent underscore tongue for the podcast, so there'll be lots of information as, as and when it's released. But yeah. We'll have a reading, I think. Yeah. Cool. Um, I was a bit debating on which one to do because I've got quite a lot of new ish ones that I'm in the process of sort of learning the yeah. performance um, that I wrote for the bus. So I will um, do this one, I think, or have a crack at this one anyway. Um, this is the last poem in the book um, and lots of the poems in um, none of them have any titles because I don't like titles and I kind of like the idea of the book being a sort of um, sequence of sort of snippets of thoughts and as we were saying before like little windows into mm. certain moments or certain feelings um, and I thought not having titles would will hopefully sort of aid that feeling and lots of them um, are sort of dedicated to people too, so for people. Um, so this is for Olivia and Sammy. Whilst I am waiting for the 37 home from Brixton, or snug in a booth all warm brown at the Gowlet, or in the queue to buy eggs from the big Asda, or collecting goldfish train tickets from the mean machines at King's Cross again, people are crafting plans to see each other next time. Arrangements are made. Arms loop around eclectic backs 
cheeks in hugs goodbye. Every setting everywhere is brimming with handshakes and backpats. Let's dig into these myriad scenes for a second. A mother is saying, don't forget to call Janie tomorrow like a moralising sparrow to her antsy tattooed daughter who replies that she won't. And one woman is telling another to remember her thing on the 23rd, to put it in her diary that she'll be trying out a new recipe, something vegetarian now that her girls have turned, smile, sigh, but it'll be good to have everyone together. And I decide, while I'm waiting to pay for my eggs in the dawdling queue, that it will. I wish briefly, but intensely, that I could be there too. A man is rambling with a pint and a beard like a poltergeist about his father's long service in the Second World War. And a couple of blokes are dismembering some absent woman's crazy behaviour and motives. On the table on the way to the toilets, a family with grown-up children is playing snap with giant playing cards the size of encyclopedias that the dad got for Christmas in his office secret Santa. They look funny. They're pulling in a crowd around them like a playground fight. One dressed-up woman lends her lipstick in the loo to another dressed-up woman. Emergency toilet roll is passed under cubicle walls. Couples kiss. Babies are passed around and roundly cooed at. Almost everyone eats pizza. Once... I sang an improvised song about when the 37 would show up while I was waiting in Brixton for the 37 to show up. Some women joined in and we were suddenly chanting, even harmonising together, and the bus came like a saviour. I like to think because of our fabric of song and we poured onto it like sugar. One evening, a barman gave me a fiver in change when I paid him with a fiver and it made my fucking weak. I almost started fitting the first time I bumped into somebody I knew in the street in London. It was too much. Some youngish, well-dressed, mixed-sex group grieve the dismantling of the NHS house prices, make vague cases for other cities that should star in their stubbly futures. A man waiting at the station squeals. His suitcase-laden sister crashes bull-like into his arms. A walking-sticked woman strokes a tabby cat. A woman running for a bus hurries down her mobile that she'll call her mother back. A shopkeeper hands a snotty toddler a lolly. This continues all damn day. All damn fullicky, wonderful day, all this blethering, all this affection, all the speculation, all this future, all these nuisances, all this outrage and wonderment, fear and heavy bottom joy is replicated in cities and villages. Versions of this exist in every second all over the folded out surface of our world. I'm too grateful for it. It's too good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned that will be that's going to be the last pint. Yeah. Talk. Um, how do you come to decisions like that? Have you had, <laughs> have you had assistance in the layout of the book? Or? No. So the book sort of got a bit of a premise. So it wasn't that long ago. I was thinking, fucking hell, I don't know what because you know I, it's got poems that some poems in there that I've probably written about 
six years ago. Mm. It was quite a long time. So it was interesting, sort of, it was really enjoyable actually, sort of going through everything. Um, and the reason, one of the reasons I'm calling it All Damn Day, that poem actually came after I thought of the title for the book. Um, is because I was going through my poems and I noticed that probably about three quarters of them or something all have references to some sort of time of day like it is a Tuesday morning or it is 3am or um, you know at dusk or whatever so I thought this is kind of interesting this is something I think I've real. I've done without realising or without deliberately doing it. Sort of subconsciously, all of my poems seem to be set in a very sort of temporal um, space in the day. Um, so the book is basically split up into um, little sections, little chapter headings. Um, and it basically goes from... Um, the funny time of day that's sort of like three o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock in the morning which mostly consists of staying up too late and what happens when you do that and then there's a whole section about the morning and then there's a whole section about the afternoon and then there's a whole section about the night and then the final section is called all damn day um which is kind of and that's where I've put quite a lot of like my political ones. Um, basically, things like, um, you know, my poem "What the Fuck Is Lady Like" or my poem about capitalism. You know, these ideas that um, these issues aren't aren't and ca- they're issues and they ca- are not and cannot be con- confined to a particular time of day. They happen all damn day. And the reason I chose that to put that one last is because it's sort of the title poem, really, because it's got mm. the phrase all damn day in it. So I just thought it would be a good finisher. Do, do you think, um, so the, the first couple of sections, which um, you're sort of are locating in particular times of the day, do you think because you're attracted to this idea of using snippets um, of information that it's handy to perhaps have a tool where you at least have a starting point. And if that starting point is three o'clock in the morning, that's enough. You don't need yeah. more of a setup. It's clear. Yeah, because it's quite a strong tool, isn't it? If you suggest that if you tell someone, right, it's yeah. 3.30 in the morning, people sort of know what frame of mind you're in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and what, yeah. You can very, very quickly set up what's going on. And I think what I've probably done without realising over the last several years I've been writing poetry is setting, is using poems as ways to shed light on and give insight to particular specific moments and experiences that happen there. Because it seems to me that there's a strong link between uh, setting a poem at a particular time of the day and using a song a book ending or to start a poem because you're setting the mood, aren't you, without necessarily having to build up a narrative which perhaps yeah. exists uh, in other forms of poetry. So in, perhaps, I, yeah, so it seems that it's quite a good way of just saying, well, here, here's how I feel. Bang. Yeah. And now, yeah. And now the poem starts and don't worry about anything else. <laughs> it's just, yeah. here's, the, here's the thing. Yeah. yeah, it sort of gets, gets everybody on the same page as you, I think. Um, so you've got some exciting... News. I have got some exciting um, news. Uh, 
Yeah, <laughs> it feels a bit naughty talking about it because it is uh, today's the first day. We're not supposed to be talking about this in public, but it won't be. It's not, it's it's not in public because this isn't going out until a few days. But you've been nominated for not one but two. Saboteur Awards, yeah, which I'm really, I was quite shocked, to be honest, um, and very excited, because I always thought, I mean, they're interesting those awards, because they're um, all done by votes, mm. and I'd put a, couple, I'd put, put a couple of things out, like, oh, yeah, if yeah. you want to, but I never really expected that anyone or enough people would, um, but they have, so it's really good, I've been shortlisted for Best Spoken Word Performer, and Melody, my show that I'm currently touring and that I took to Edinburgh last year, um, is up for best spoken word show. Excellent. So, if it, just a very quick explanation, if people don't know what the Saboteur Awards are, um, there's an online blog called Sabotage Reviews, and they uh, have view, uh, it's reviews of independent literature, isn't it? Yeah. They do a lot of poetry stuff, and they've also got a big section of reviews on spoken word uh, events and performance poetry. And is this the fourth? year of their awards so. it's, it's growing isn't yeah. it each year so each year there's, there's more current uh, categories this year than were last year and um it's an ongoing process but it's all done by so you you're nominated by the public aren't you and yeah. then you're voted for by the public as yeah. well after the short list is compiled by so if you want information about saboteur awards go to sabotage reviews yeah or google that because yeah. i can't remember the exact um yeah address where it's .org or .com but um, yeah or there's the Saboteur Awards um, it, definitely saboteurawards.org I've got that in mind yeah, um, yeah so you, you're you quite excitingly the the solo show that you're touring at the moment Melody yeah. you said has been nominated yeah um, bearing in mind that this will probably go out on the 2nd of May um, yeah which are there any notable dates where people can check it out before we talk about it and then... um it kind of depends where people are because I think I've just done I mean I've got no other plans to do it in London yeah. um, I just did it at the Clapham Omnibus a couple of weeks ago which is where we developed it mm. so huge thanks to them for giving us all that free space um, I'm doing it at Latitude Festival which is really really exciting um, I'm doing it in Oxford at a place called Offbeat Festival I'm going to Leicester tomorrow, but this will be out after yes. that. Um, where else? I'm going to Oldborough to do it at their alternative festival. Now that the Poetry Festival's not there, they've got some sort of other arts, artsy fringe festival. Um, I'm going to Exeter. I've basically ended up accepting dates to do it right into November, which wasn't really the original yeah. plan. Um, but I'm I'm happy with it, so I want um, you know I'd like to share it with more people. Really, um, we're going to talk about it a bit more in depth, but maybe we could have a re get a bit of a taste yeah. of it first, and then yeah. yeah. Um, I will. Yeah, I'll do a little section. I wish. I wish, but it's all in vain. I wish I was a maid again, 
But I made a gain I never can be Till apples grow on the orange tree I am lying down with my family and we are here in the height of July on a Scottish not so hot pebbled beach but the sun is out. The littlest of my nieces six and seven are running around in nothing but knickers, their dry cozies rejected, squashed to the bottom of our bags there, scurrying after crabs, chasing the incoming tide away, squealing in ripples like piglets, flying a bright red kite, getting high off the natural light of the summer of the seaside. I wish I wish they're lured back to our picnic blanket by strawberries and sandwiches that have somehow got sand in them and apple juice and warm dry adult hugs and ice cream from the van that plays if you go down to the woods today you're in for a big surprise further down the beach two older girls about 10 or 11 stretch out apprentice lionesses on beach towels pull giant sunglasses down on their eyes so they look like flies as they try to wisely sigh. They behave in a way that says, check me, I am doing what grown-ups do on a beach. Check me, I might not be one, but I am a teenager and I am doing what teenagers do. You may think I'm just a child, but you haven't got a clue. One of my little ones stops running, pops bellied in damp pants and looks. Next day, well rested and hot chocolated and ready for play on the beach again, it's different. They rummage to the bottom of the bags, chuck out the buckets and spades and put their swimming costumes on. Within the minute, they are laughing and splashing, still piglets. But I have witnessed this. In one swift moment like a photograph, this sudden crumbling of their sweet and childish lack of self-consciousness like a conquered city's wall. I have witnessed this. This milestone, this shift in their visions that will never shift back. I have just witnessed their rough innocence collapsing. And an origamied womanhood will grow from their souls in its place. I wish. I wish. But it's all in vain. I wish I was a maid again. But a maid again I never can be till apples grow on the orange tree thank you very much thank you so uh, yeah tell us a bit about the show okay so the show um is um 
it's a one-woman show, as in there's just me on stage, but I actually made it with a very good friend of mine called Lucy Allen, who um, is uh, one of my friends from university. Um, we are on the same course together, and she has sort of directed it and co-written it in that she's very responsible for the shape of the piece. Otherwise, it would just be me rambling on for hours. And... <laughs> um, and it's basically, it's an exploration of um, music and how music attaches itself to memories. Um, and um, it's basically, it, it starts with me missing a bus home from work. And I hear this song playing from um, a fruit stall and... It's absolutely amazing and I start dancing to it and it makes me very happy and I decide because of that that I'm going to walk home. So the whole show is um, a journey home basically and what happens is as I go home I hear different songs like a song playing from a car or um, something playing from somebody's window like a cookery programme and the idea is so we have um, various noises and sounds that are piped through the PA which is me hearing those things and I basically um, react and get sent off in reveries and reminiscences of um, of these various things that have happened and it's pretty it's pretty autobiographical. Um, so for this for this piece did you have a narrative in mind as you started compiling the piece or was it just that you had a collection of work which had a common thing? Um, definitely more like the second one. I mean, um, Lucy and I started working on it quite a long time ago um, and it's really, it's really been sort of whittled down in that way that I was saying I kind of enjoy that about poetry. Um, I think I basically gave almost everything I'd ever written you know, I gave her like 50 odd pages of stuff um, and we sort of tried to organise it and I think she actually came up with the idea of it being a walk home. So we didn't go, we didn't go into like, right, we're going to make a show about a walk home. The, I, I wanted it to be about music because that plays quite an important part in my work. Um, but I, I think it was a good idea to make it about a walk home and it was sort of more, it was more an idea of seeing what we have um and and there are some sort of set pieces in there there are some pieces that i that like people have probably seen me do before at gigs but our challenge was to try and sort of weave that seamlessly into this narrative so that it made sense so it wasn't like and now i'm doing a poem yeah i suppose the theme of um uh, sounds and songs evoking emotions and memories plays through all of your work anyway so it's a natural yeah way to go into it that way and i suppose setting it in on the walk home puts it at a certain time of day as well yeah exactly (laughs) it does yeah yeah yeah. and i suppose um actually uh, a friend of mine has been on the uh, podcast before in winter recently did a project um called Headfuck and it was uh, basically um, a one-to-one performance uh, via Skype which you could uh, uh, enrol into and and no no two performances were the same it's a really interesting project but it sort of it, it it was very much linked to 
coming home after an mm. evening because there's so it's um i know a lot of people that write anyway on night buses home from nights out there's obviously a lot of inspiration when you're out with friends and you're talking about things yeah. and reminiscing and stuff but there's something in that it's quite lonely isn't it that journey home yeah and it can be quite it doesn't necessarily have to be a lot of people turn it into quite a dark thing um, yeah uh, there are issues as to whether you're walking home on your own, whether you feel safe or not. But uh, that's perhaps a distraction from what I mean. But this, it, it's interesting how people interpret that loneliness, isn't it? As to whether yeah, is is that a liberating thing or is it, you know, is it a, is is it a sad thing that makes you feel sort of smaller and 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 I think that's interesting as well having home as your destination you know it's very different from setting out yes. for somewhere you know setting on your way home and and the way it's framed in in the piece is very much like hooray i don't have to hurry home i can just you know there's a line that's like i going to lounge in the almost too long walk home and let songs play so it's this sort of reveling and because i think some of the times i'm happiest really is when, I, when i'm walking alone mm. basically um and so it, it's got that very um it's got that vibe at the beginning like this is a positive thing then throughout the play you know some kind of pretty grim things happen um and i think we take the audience to some pretty difficult places but then of course because you're walking home you're it's we're sort of redeemed a bit at the end you know i'm redeemed by getting home reaching my destination and getting somewhere where i'm happy and safe i suppose um so this kind of solo although you said obviously um, yeah. the development of writing wasn't a solo project but this yeah. this way of writing for solo performances is this something you'd like to develop further or i think so yeah i mean we're actually in talks basically about developing another one mm. we've got a about a week's rehearsal that and we're you looking. Work with your friend Lucy again. I think that. I yeah, will, yeah. yeah, because I, I really trust her. She's a fiercely intelligent woman, and she knows what she's, she knows what she's doing. Um, I'm gonna try and get some money. I hope for us to do yeah. it. Maybe get an arts council. Yeah. Just we don't we won't need much, but we did the last one with very very little funding. Basically, I got a grant from. Um, an award I was shortlisted for and I used that but I wasn't paying her and I wasn't paying me um, so I think yeah I think I want to yeah I want, I want to do another one it's funny because if you'd have asked me four years ago if I thought I'd ever be doing a one woman show I'd be like because I'd, see, I'd seen a couple of good ones and I was like so in awe of how someone can be on stage for a whole hour by themselves and still keep an audience yeah. engaged. I just never thought it was possible, but I think we've done it. Mm. And yeah, I would, I would, I'm hoping to do it again. Obviously it's been, this, this particular show has been a very positive experience for you. Mm. And um, you've had a lot of really good feedback and which is great for your first attempt at something. Yeah. It's not often when you try things for the first <laughs> time that they work out so positively. But do you think, in general, that a lot of poets, and I suppose specifically people that would consider themselves to be spoken word artists, whatever that means, yeah. do you think people are under a lot of pressure to take that step, as as though it's almost expected of them that you know when are you going to Edinburgh or when are you going to go and write a longer piece? 
I think so, yeah. I think so. And I think that's changed quite a lot. I mean, when I was at Manchester Uni, however many years ago, spoken word wasn't really a thing. I, I honestly think I was one of the... Maybe I'm being ignorant, but from what I knew, I was one of the few people in the city doing it and certainly one of the few students doing it. And, of course, now it's really, really, mm. really blown up. And I think... Yeah, I think if you want to sort of take it seriously and make some sort of career out of it, um, it was something Luke Wright told me, actually, is that, you know, you need you need to have a show. And whether that's... I don't think there's necessarily pressure to do a show as in, that's held together by a narrative. So, you know, our show Melody is is basically theatre, yeah. really. It's a theatre piece, as is Luke Wright's What I Learned from Johnny Bevan. It happens to all rhyme, but it's got a through narrative and it's a theatre piece. I don't think there's a nece- necessarily a pressure to do that because those sort of anthology shows where you do poem and everybody claps and then you do a bit of chatting in between, yeah. you know, do, do that for an hour, fine. But it's useful to have... Um, you know, an hour-long thing that you can tout around and do your own night. So most of the dates I've got for Melody are just me that night, whereas, of course, lots of other gigs you do, it's like you do 20 minutes and then there are three other people. So I, th- I think there is some pressure, but I think it's probably a good thing. I think it's probably, you know, it's probably quite wise if you, if you want to if you want to sort of develop and and it was a really it was a really great experience for me doing it I mean I would advise anyone to if you can find someone good to work with um to work with someone doing it um but it really taught me a lot there was lots of Lucy saying don't like this bit sounds a bit cliche you're crossing it out um we've not had anything about you and your mates yet can you write a section about you and your friends. Um, and then she'd go off and have a lunch or whatever and I'd sit there for half an hour and write a bit. Mm. And just doing that sort of thing is just really valuable, I think. And uh, what sort of workshopping was involved? Did you do a lot of scratch events? Yeah, so we did. Um, Actually, I just need to say, because I, I deliberately I always promised myself I wouldn't just say things like, did you do scratch events? Some people don't know what scratch events are. Uh, yeah. So uh, basically scratch events are short, so anything from what I would say sort of seven minutes to 20 yeah. minutes where you get to go and do uh, a, a summary of your show or certain sections you want to work on and you get Google feedback. it. There are lots of events if you want to find, because it's a really good way of developing. And I think if you're... Uh, a writer just starting out and you don't know where to go and you don't have to, what I mean is you don't have to go and do 45 minutes of something yeah you can go and do 10 minutes or something or 15 minutes or something so was this a big part of the development yeah definitely and a really good thing about them is everybody's really really friendly and welcoming there's a really good understanding that this is the first time you're trying it out there's a real emphasis on trying it out um which is really really nice um and we found them very useful to, you know, I'd say to anyone thinking of putting together a longer show, to book in for some scratches because the first one we did was actually like at the south, like some like smaller theatre space at the South Bank. And I applied to it like two weeks before thinking, oh, 
probably won't get it, got it, and we were like, fuck, we haven't got anything, we've just got absolutely nothing. So then over the two weeks we were like, I, I desperately wrote it all, Lucy came round and we cut bits out and we, and it went really well, and everyone said it was really good, that gave us the confidence. Um, so then we did, so we basically did two scratches, we did a 10 minute one at the South Bank, and then we did a 15 minute one at Battersea Arts Centre. Um, and so then we thought, oh great, we've got 25 minutes um, of the show now. In the end, only about five minutes of those 25 minutes we wrote the scratch really, yeah. ended up in the show, in, in what is in the show. And we've changed the show since Edinburgh, we've gone back into rehearsal and changed it. Um, and, that, and then we had this thing that I can't recommend highly enough in, which is at the Clapham Omnibus, which is a great theatre, really, really nice space, really nice people. Um, and they have a thing called the Engine Room, which is basically, I think, after you've done a couple of scratches, they then basically give you the chance to do what is still a scratch, but it's your full-length scratch. So they gave us, amazingly, rehearsal space for three days for absolutely free. And then at the end of it, we did this sort of sharing scratch of the very first version of the 50-minute long show. Um, and it was terrifying. I, you know, we'd only finalised the script the night before the show. I'm desperately learning my lines. I had to ask for line. You know, I had to ask for prompts from Lucy a couple of times. But just being able to, like, share it in that space and work out what works and... You know, you discover things like you say a line, you didn't think it was a comedy line, and everyone's like, ha, ha, and you're like, oh, hi. I have that all the time. I do something really emotional. People laugh. Yeah. And you're like, oh, right, great. <laughs> I've got really, apparently, I'm quite good at unintentionally, uh, unintentional comic timing, which is a flaw when yeah. you're trying to tear your heart out. Yeah. Actually, I'd say, I, I mean, I haven't attempted to write anything longer, and I don't know whether I want to, but I've learned a lot from attending read throughs. Uh, so mm. script in hand performances where people are actors or performers are learning the script as you're watching them so they, they've got the script in their hand if they need to call back on that so it's a very informal procedure but what it does do is gives you a lot of confidence in knowing that you don't have to have it right immediately yeah. and the whole point is to try it in front of audiences and work things out um, I I think there's a lot of pressure on people when they first start doing or start writing and sharing their poetry or start first go, first up going to spoken word events is that everyone looks so good. <laughs> yeah. Everyone looks brilliant, but you know you don't know they they maybe read that piece twenty five times. Yeah. And that might be the first time they've ever got it right. You yeah. Know, you, you've just luck. You know they've locked out in front of you, and it, it can be very intimidating, can't it? But I think it's mm, important yeah. to remember that it's a very good point that you made that. From twenty-five minutes of material, which at that time may have felt really strong, yeah, twenty minutes that had to it's go. Gone. You know? Yeah, um, doesn't mean that twenty minutes was rubbish. It just wasn't right for the yeah for the development of the piece, was it? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I will say I obviously don't know anything. I haven't written anything longer than seven minutes. So, <laughs> um, perhaps oh, we should have another reading from the show. Um. Okay. Um. Suddenly, coming the other way like a wave of lovely scarlet jumpered energy is a whole roll of children. They're chattering like Jack 
doors, pushing glasses up on their noses, gesticulating wildly as if the end of the world were coming. One woman's tummy has grown into the hard, round rind of a grapefruit, filled with a parcel of almost done brain, little fingers, smooth, cool skin. I wish my baby he was born and smiling on his mommy's knee and smiling on his mommy's knee. I am rightly terrified of the responsible job to fill one bright skin with plumbing and bones and a complicated motor. Then for the rest of sped up life to furnish it with a soul, imbue it with a sense of pride, that vast expanding sack of skin like a sausage with the meat of computers stuffed in it. They say that children are rain for the earth, space travel, the avant-garde, the new wave, at once unexplained potential and strictly necessary in a bland way. So this is a deliberate nightmare, with all the commonplace necessities of horror. I have been circling the pebble-dashed hospital for so long that I am five minutes late for my appointment. I arrived here five, 25 minutes early, better to be safe than sorry. I am thinking about a summer of parties and ciders in parks and watery sunlight and how babies' fingers curl around your fingers like shells. All I'm asking you to do is to sing a simple song. 23rd of the 689. Yes. Two pieces of toast and honey this morning. Thank you. No fam family history of heart disease. No. Thank you. And how long? Thank you. Where's the toilet, please? The day room is flecked with leatherette recliners. They feed us triangles of egg and cress in bread. I am light-headed and study people's shoes, counting out the amount this is costing me in loss of earnings. The pain gets worse. My crossword, half completed, lies abandoned as I'm sick into a rigid cardboard kidney dish. This is shit. And for a second, in a fever, the alternative seems sweet. That I, at 23, can create a learning brain, a child that loves a couple of singing eyes and a pair of dancing feet. But I've decided against it. Perhaps I am selfish. Maybe I'm not. This is no time for philosophising. This really fucking hurts a lot like serrated spoons, like stomach rot. My crotch is pressed against the radiator for relief. 
And I am sick again on a picture of Gwyneth Paltrow on the hospital's fresh copy of Glamour magazine. Something far off detects the minor irony of this. I hear a baby crying down the corridor and feel suddenly empathetic. I am much more the same as the crying child than the unseen mother that calms it. Control is close to tangible. Just an hour to go until I touch it. Hey, 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 the end is near. On a good day you can see the end from here. Thank you very much. Um, time is ticking on, so yeah. we might just finish with one last question, and I don't really know where this is going. It's something I'm trying to work out <laughs> in my head at the moment. It, okay. Does if you're putting on a solo spoken word show, yeah, is that that's is that theatre? Do you think that automatically equates to theatre? I suppose it's. Yeah, I think it is theatre because it's you know it's a live performance. It's something that requires there to be an audience there, and it happen the action happening in mm. real time in front of them. Um, it's got that sort of immediacy. Um, I think it's automatically probably more theatre if it has a storyline and links together, um, because some of these sort of anthology shows. They can almost be more like stand-up comedy, really, because it's this sort of like, here's a poem about this, and then chatting, chatting, making people laugh. Often those bits are, you know, lots of people are scripted still. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think it is theatre. I think mainly the reason that questions exist in my head, I get very confused with the way that shows are advertised. Mm. And people, for some reason, still hang on to this idea that no, it's a spoken word show. Yeah. It's not theatre in the way that a play is theatre. But if a play had one person in it, it would still be theatre. Yeah. But it would look exactly the same. <laughs> well, Perhaps yeah. it's a spoken word show, you know, because there's nothing, uh, there's no there's no predetermined uh, factor, is there necessarily, that uh, a spoken word show will rhyme? You know, that doesn't no. define it as a spoken word show. There's... Um, I don't know if you saw it, This Is How We Die, with, uh, what's the name, Brett, it's Brett Bailey or something? Anyway, This Is How We Die, really fantastic, he's won a lot of awards, um, and clearly, although he might debate this, it seems <laughs> clearly uh, influenced by a lot of like true spoken word stuff in that, uh, yeah. clearly people are rejecting sort of normal narrative of, of plays and theatre and stuff, but it's presented in a way that is complete theatre, you know, yeah. with the way that the lighting is worked into the whole piece and, you know, uh, and just because he's on his own reading from pieces of paper yeah, doesn't make it any less theatre. Okay. Anyway, yeah. No, no, yeah, exactly. I've not quite worked out in my head. I, I, it may just be that people don't, know, it, and this is a completely understandable thing, perhaps people don't know how to promote and uh, advertise spoken word properly and the poetry element so that yeah maybe perhaps still stuck in the idea that it's different because you're a poet 
yeah. first and foremost that you're not involved with theatre. I don't know whether that just exists in the minds of promoters, perhaps. Yeah, and it's and and um, you're right. It's still and lots of those things. They still they have so many theatrical elements. Um, and I did actually think, you know, if I take a show, I'm not going to take a show to Edinburgh this year, but if I take one next year, which I probably will, you know, this new one, I'm probably going to put it in the theatre category. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Part, partly because it's a, an easier, it is an easier sell. Mm. You know, going up to Edinburgh and handing out flyers and saying, oh, it's a poetry play, people are like, oh, no, no, you know. Yeah. Still, even though spoken words really yeah. on the up. And, um, so I think... You know, I think it's probably quite useful to categorise it sometimes as theatre. I definitely, I definitely need to think about it a bit more. It's probably, it probably will be a subject for a, for another discussion another yeah. time, perhaps leading up to. Although I do quite on the podcast, I quite like the idea of ignoring Edinburgh. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> but well, perhaps yeah. coming up to it, I just yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. No, just because it gets so much. There's so much discussion. Um, I don't necessarily need, know where I need to get. I don't know if there's anything. I can be talking about yeah. uh, that can add anything to it. You know, people are doing it, doing enough. But um, if we wrap up there, where can people check out your work and dates? And... Yeah, so um, I have a website which is jemimafoxtrot.co.uk. Um, I also have a Facebook page which is called Jemima Foxtrot Poet, and I have Twitter, and that's I'm just at Jemima Foxtrot. Handy having a uh, unusual name yeah, yeah, like yeah. that <laughs> um, and yeah so links to all of those access points will be in the description however you listen to this wherever you are um, and also follow Burning Eye Books yeah. there's a lot of interesting stuff happening there and obviously as we mentioned Jemima's book will be out sometime in the summer just look out for updates um, thank you Jemima thank you very really much nice. take care I think the sun's still shining. It Excellent. is. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't wasted the sunshine with poetry. Okay, thank you. Bye. <laughs> bye bye.